I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So this morning, I'm, I'm actually really excited about this passage because this passage is a very unlikely encounter. It's an encounter that God uses two people to, to send a message. And it's people that you wouldn't necessarily choose. Uh, so in our, in our middle school ministry, middle school, raise your hand, where are you? Wonderful, you're all right, good, paying attention, love it. Uh, So the curriculum that we're looking at in our middle school ministry is called the Gospel Project. And what we're doing in the Gospel Project is we are actually going back all the way to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis and looking at where Jesus, the Messiah, is in Genesis. And what we see over and over and over again in in these scriptures that we're reading is that not only is, is Jesus everywhere in terms of, hey, this is what we're looking forward to, but we see a God who over and over and over again is faithful. He's faithful to his promises. He's faithful to the people that he has made these promises to and given these blessings to. And what we see are these people who just don't deserve it. You see these broken people who make uh, mistakes and constantly mess up, and you read scriptures like, God, how in the world can you use these broken people to fulfill your promises? And what we're discovering as we look into the scripture and look into these stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that has nothing to do with the people themselves and everything to do with God. That God uses these broken people to bring glory to himself so that nobody can say anything other than, man, all glory goes to God. That the redemption of his people, the promise of the Messiah, has nothing to do with the acts of people and everything about what God is doing in them. And as I was reading this passage of scripture, we see the very same truths. We see a God who decides to choose two people, one unlikely, and one you're like, all right, Peter, yeah, we can, we'll use Peter. But he does it in a way that ultimately the glory is for God and for God alone. And so as we walk away from this passage this morning, I want us to remember that, that while God can use broken people, and I believe that he would want to use every single one of us in this room today, the reason he does it is not for us, it's for him. And so, no matter where you are in your faith journey this morning, Maybe you're a believer, maybe you're not. Maybe somebody dragged you to church this morning and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing here, I'm, I'm just here. I, I believe that this passage, this scripture has something for you today. That even if you have nothing to do with church, you're like, I don't know about this, this is not for me. I believe that this passage of scripture can help you maybe dive a little bit deeper into some of the questions or doubts that you might have. And if you're a believer and you've been a believer for a long time, This is an incredible encouragement and a reminder of what are we doing with our faith? Because we see an encounter that just sometimes just doesn't make sense. You're like, God, why would you you orchestrate it this way? Why would you do it this way? So I believe this this passage has something for you that you can tangibly walk away with. So a couple weeks ago, uh, our elder Jay Raymond uh, looked at an encounter where Peter was asked to go to a city uh, from Luda to Joppa to do the work that he had for him to do. We saw him through the spirit heal a paralyzed man, uh, raise a girl from the dead, and many people placed their faith in Christ because of his witness, because of him being there. And so if you're just jumping into this series, glad you're here, uh, we are looking at the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we're seeing Jesus start the church. It says, church starts now. Um, 
In the beginning of Acts, in Acts 1-8, it says, But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus tells his disciples this right before he ascends because they're worried, like, well, well Jesus, where, where are you going? When are you coming back? What's, what's going on? And he says, hey, don't worry about it. You will have power, and you are on a mission. And so, where we are in Acts chapter 10 is right in the middle of that mission. I got a map for you I want to show you to get, kind of give a geographical. Uh, so here, here we are in the Middle East. You see Israel there in the green. Uh, and if you zoom in a little bit to the next picture for me, this we're a little bit closer. So Jerusalem there on the, on the bottom right. Uh, we saw Luda where Peter was. He was asked to send, be sent to Joppa to heal those two people. And we're picking up in the story where Peter is in Joppa and he is on a mission to Caesarea. And Caesarea is about 30 miles north, about 65 miles north of Jerusalem. So we are slowly but surely expanding outward. This, this call, this mission, like, hey, you are going to go from Jerusalem in our neighborhood to Judea, which is that kind of surrounding area, Luda, and, and, that, and to Samaria and the ends of the earth. We're gradually going out where we're seeing the church grow, and we're seeing church get to the point, ultimately, where we're going to be to the ends of the earth as Jesus promises. And I love how Acts is set up. So chapters 2 through 7, we see the gospel spreading in Jerusalem. We've looked at that. And Acts 8 through 10, or chapters 8 through 10, persecution happens in the church in Jerusalem, and, and disciples begin to spread, and that's where we see these stories of Luda and Joppa uh, and, and Judea and Samaria, and we see all of these things taking place, and really what God is doing is saying, hey, my mission to reach the world with the gospel is happening. It's going to happen, and we're seeing that very real. And so next couple pictures here, just to give you, I'm a visual person, I like to see, this is where we are, Caesarea, Right along the water, this would be, this would be a pretty, pretty busy town. Uh, you can go one more. If I have one more, maybe I don't. There we go. There's a good view of it. So this is where we are, all right? So Peter is in Joppa South, 30 miles, and he's, he's being asked to go on a journey. We see an unlikely encounter between two men, one named Cornelius and one named Peter. And we see God going before these two men to bring the gospel to a large group of Gentiles. And this is kind of a newer thing. Peter, as we see in previous chapters, still struggles a little bit of like, how, how do I, as a good Jew, how do I encounter and, and engage with people who, who are not Jewish? How do I engage with these Gentiles? Because historically and culturally, this is not something that I do. Like, what, what do I do to be obedient to the, God, the calling that God has for us? while being true to my Jewish roots. And so this is kind of an unlikely encounter. We see one, a, a Roman uh, centurion that we'll read about and hear about in just a minute, and Peter, a very, a, a, he's a good Jew. And we have this kind of conflict between Jew and Gentile and clean and unclean as that we heard uh, un, repeated a number of times in the passages Sherry read it. And so on the surface, this, this shouldn't happen. This encounter shouldn't take place, but we see God going before both of these men and saying, you know what, I'm going to remove the barriers that'll keep my plan from going forth. I'm going to take away the things that you might use as an excuse. I'm going I'm to go before you and prepare the way so there is no doubt that this is exactly where I would have you go. 
So let's dive into the scripture a little bit. So Cornelius, it opens up with Cornelius' vision in chapter 10, verse 1. It says, there's a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. And about three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw a vision, an angel of God who came and said to him, Cornelius. So what do we know about Cornelius? One, he's a Roman. I got a picture of you. Here we go. Next picture of our, our Roman centurion. This is him right here. He's looking really stylish. I debated wearing mine, but I, I didn't want to clash. Uh, but here, students, by the way, with our Reach Week on Wednesday, if you come dressed as uh, Cornelius and Peter for your dynamic duo, duo, I will give you a first round buy in our tournament, okay? If you look like that, that would be absolutely incredible. So here's a picture. We have Cornelius looking super shiny up there. He is a Roman. He, he would be re- well respected. He would oversee a large group of soldiers in this area. He would be the point person. That, hey, if something's going on, if something needs to happen, if the government needs to be involved, Cornelius would be the guy that this region would talk to. They would say, hey, what do we do? He might send soldiers. He might send a decree. But the, a lot of the, 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 some of the final say would go from Cornelius. Now, historically, as we look in Scripture, the Romans were not tremendously kind to the Jews. They were not the Jews' favorite people to interact with. In fact, you see over and over again in the, in the ministry of Jesus that often there's, there's, a, there's a bit of a clash. But yet we find a Roman centurion who is a God-fearing man. He does charitable deeds. He cares about the Jewish people. He prays to God regularly. And so his entire household is one that fears and respects God. And so on the surface, you're like, all right, well, hey, this man's good. Like, why, why are we, you know, if, he, if he's got it figured out, why are we, why couldn't God use somebody else? But there's more to the story. Cornelius is not a follower of Jesus. He might do good things, and he might be well-respected. He might even serve the Jewish community in some ways. But we see, and even confirmed uh, in Acts chapter 11, verse 14, that Pastor Jeremy will talk about uh, next week, This message that he was supposed to receive from his vision was that he and his household might be saved. Meaning that the good works that Cornelius had done were not enough. The way that he has engaged with God was not saving faith, which is interesting to me. So it says, it continues, the angel of the Lord told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner who is housed by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So here's this God-fearing man, a Roman centurion, not somebody that on the surf you would say, yeah, let's use him to further the gospel. But God says, hey, this is the man that I have chosen, a God-fearing who's, who's respect, respectful of, of the Jewish community. This is the one I'm using. And Cornelius is obedient. And so like a good story kind of flashes to the next area, and, the, and these stories will collide come in, in just a few minutes, but we, we go to Peter. Now, Many in this room probably know a good thing about, one or two things about Peter. Peter is a disciple of Jesus. He's been there since the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And man, Peter is a bold guy. 
Peter is a guy who often seems to have kind of like the foot and mouth. He's, sometimes his boldness gets him into a little bit of trouble. Uh, sometimes he says things before thinking about him, it seems, and he's always the first one to volunteer for somebody. We, anybody was that, anybody the, the first one to volunteer, like in youth group or anything like that? You want to do the game, you want to do whatever it is. Peter is this guy. He's bold. He's like, I'm all in. Hey, let, let me have it. He spent a lot of time with Jesus. He saw and heard all the incredible things that Jesus did. He was outspoken, sometimes too outspoken, bold in his dedication. Matthew 14, when Jesus comes to the disciples out on, on the water, Peter asks, like, hey, bring me out to you. I, I want to walk on the water with you. Call my name, and I know I can walk out there. Pretty bold move. In the Last Supper, when Jesus is explaining the foot washing, he says, I'm going to wash your feet. At first, Peter was like, no, you may absolutely, you'll never wash my feet. And of course, he's speaking quickly. And then Jesus explains to him, hey, Peter, here's what's going on. And then, of course, Peter, being the bold one that he is, says, all right, well, wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my head. He's just all out. And then not that much longer, uh, as Jesus is being arrested, Peter cuts a guard's, guard's ear off with a sword. Like, if that's not action in the Bible, I don't know what it is, like whipping your sword out. I'm like, there's your ear. All right. He denied Jesus three times. After the resurrection, Jesus comes up to him and restores him three times. We learn that Peter, Peter likes threes. Sometimes I, I think about it in, in, in my own things is Peter's got to be told a few, three things more than one time, three times, because maybe he just wasn't listening the first time. I think I can relate to that, and my, my wife might uh, agree with that as well. Uh, but it was restored by Jesus, and one of my favorite encounters is this. In Matthew 16, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Like, what, he's asking, what do people say about me? Who, who do people say that I am? He says, but you, he asked, and this is Jesus speaking, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. That's a beautiful statement. And it's beautiful because we see that promise being fulfilled in the story that we're looking at today. We see that promise saying, Peter, I have a plan for you. You're gonna do incredible things. From Acts chapter 1, we see Peter, after he receives the Holy Spirit, this new boldness, this new power that comes from God and God alone, does incredible things and is used by God in amazing ways, all for God's glory. So Peter, this is where he is. We think, man, he's, he's, he's a good guy, but yet he still struggles. God knows Peter's heart, and God knows that Peter needs to hear something before he would ask him to go to Caesarea. God knew that Peter, who struggled with this clean and unclean Jew-Gentile conflict, this contrast, God knew that that barrier would need to be removed. That something in, in the work of Peter's heart needed to happen so that he would be, continue to be obedient to the call that uh, he has for him. Picks it up in Acts chapter 10, verse 9. It says, The next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof of about, about noon. He became hungry and wanted to eat. 
But while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. And it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. A voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure and, uh, and richly unclean. That's his good Jewish cultural coming out. He's, he's like, no, I'm going to be a good Jew. I don't know what this is, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. Notice he doesn't talk about food in that, in that verse. This happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken into heaven. It's kind of an interesting thing to happen. And as you would imagine, if that happened to you in your house, you might be a little confused. Peter was confused. At first, it's talking about food, and then it doesn't talk about food. Like, it happened three times, so Peter's like, wait, what? Oh, wait, wait, one more time. What's, what's going on? And while Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean right away, the men had sent by Corne- that had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon House, stood at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him, three men, hey Peter, three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. As I was studying this and trying to better understand what this passage meant, what it, what, what it would mean for Peter, why, why was this so important? Why would the clean and unclean contrast be so important in this passage. Um, John, John Piper, I was, I was reading a little bit from him, and, and he had this incredibly profound yet simple statement. He's saying that God is telling Peter that the people that you have formerly regarded as common and unclean and separated from your fellowship are not to be viewed that way anymore. It's a simple thing. Peter, the people that you thought you couldn't hang around, people, the people that you thought weren't worthy of the promises and blessings of God, the people that, that you avoid, the people that you wouldn't eat with, all of that, that goes away. And that's going to strike to the core of Peter. Because being a good Jew, you don't hang around the unclean people. You don't go to the unclean people's houses. You don't eat with them. You don't spend time with them. But God is giving Peter a vision saying, hey, things are changing. This doesn't happen anymore. And we've seen this, uh, this take place. If you have your Bible with you, we're going we're to go back just a little bit. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. If you would, I'm going to read a quick story for you to kind of give us an, uh, some, some context and some depth to the seriousness of what God is asking Peter to do. So in Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells a parable. It says, then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and fled, leaving him half dead. 
A priest happened to be going down the road when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, another religious guy, when he arrived at the place, he saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, Go and do the same. This is the level that we're looking at. These two religious people who saw somebody hurting, nowadays we're like, well, clearly we have to help that person. But this clean, unclean, Jew, Gentile thing was so in deep of everything that they believed, they literally said, no, he's unclean, I'm passing by on the other side. Now, I don't know if, if, if Jesus, I wouldn't say that Jesus was talking specifically about our own passage today when he told that parable, but I think there's a lot of similarities. Jesus says, the one who's the neighbor is the one who showed mercy. The one who didn't let the things get in the way, didn't let a barrier stop from showing that man mercy and beyond what was expected. He put him on his own animal. He spent his own money, told the innkeeper, says, anything else you spend, I will take care of it. I will cover what is needed for this man. And I think that's a pretty beautiful picture of what is about to take place because as Peter struggles and has doubts, even says he's perplexed, he doesn't understand what's taking place, he doesn't know why this vision is being told to him. But he's about to be sent to a place where mercy is going to be asked of him. Mercy is going to be asked to be shown to people that he otherwise might think didn't deserve it. And I think all of us in this room could probably understand that. I'm not asking for you to, to raise your hand or think of any names, but I'm sure you could think of somebody who drives you crazy. I'm sure that you can think of somebody who you might interact with at work or at school or on a sports team and say, I, uh, I don't want to hang out with that person. That person's not worth my time. That person, I mean, I don't, I don't know that person goes to church. I don't know about that guy, right? We can all think about that. And I would challenge us as we kind of dive deeper into the scripture. What are the barriers that we put up on our own lives that keep us from being obedient to the calling that God has for us? Because I believe that each and every one of us in this room has a circle of influence. That God has uniquely placed you where you are. Whether it be your job, whether it be your school, the circle of friends you have, the coffee shop that you go to, that God has placed you intentionally. And that God has surrounded you with people that don't know Jesus. And God has gifted you and prepared you and gone before you in ways that you can't even see or imagine to be obedient to the call that he has for each and every one of you. So let's see how Peter responds. It continues. He goes up and he meets them. They have an interaction. He reminds them, like, hey, I, I'm not so sure if you know this, but, uh, but he, here we are. Like, I, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be in your house. I'm, I'm a Jew. You're a Gentile. This is not supposed to take place. But Peter is obedient because he says, God has shown me the right way. He picks up in verse 34, and man, I love this. This is, now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. 
He sent a message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout all of Judea. They would have heard it. These Romans, this Roman centurion, he would have known what was going on. He would have known the, the ruckus that Jesus and his disciples were calling. He's not saying, hey, this is not something you, you, you weren't aware of. All right? He continues, beginning from Galilee and after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all those who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with them. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did, both in the Judean country and Jerusalem, and yet they killed him by hanging, on, hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us whom God had appointed as witnesses. We ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So this internal struggle that Peter had of, man, I, I'm not even supposed to be in your house to the point where we're now saying, everyone who believes in Jesus has forgiveness of sins. There is no separation anymore. The clean, unclean, that, that doesn't matter anymore. Like, what, what we're here is that the gospel is being shared. And something pretty amazing happens. But before we do that, we're going to go back to Acts chapter 2. If you remember correctly, at Pentecost, the disciples received the Holy Spirit. And it says, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house while they were staying. And tongues like flames of fire that were divided appeared to them and resting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages. The Spirit gave them the ability for speech. There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. When the sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear in our own native language? And it continues, as we hear them speaking the magnificent acts of God in our own language. So when they received power of the Holy Spirit, what was the natural reaction, the natural response was to speak of the magnificent acts of what has taken place by God. And then you jump forward to chapter 10 where we are today. Peter just gave us a, a good rundown of the magnificent acts of God. And he said, hey, I was there. I saw it. I, I, I felt his hands. Like I, I was right there. I saw it. I heard it. Like, guys, you have to believe me. And it picks up in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. It's pretty powerful. And I can't speak for Peter, and I can't speak for the, the other Jews that were there, but I got to imagine that this was a moment where it clicked. They thought the Holy Spirit was just for the Jews, just for the Israelites, just for, just for the, the, the close ones of God. 
They experienced it. They witnessed something amazing. Yet here, in this group of Gentiles, in a Roman centurion's home, that doesn't make sense for the gospel to be shared here by these Jews. Like, no, we're not even supposed to be here. God pours his Holy Spirit out, even on the Gentiles. And I think the confusion and where, where Peter was perplexed and unsure of what this vision meant and why God would give this to him, I think this was the moment that it clicked. That he could say that there is no favoritism, there is no separation, and they don't get a lesser Holy Spirit or less power because we're Jews and they're Gentiles. No, they receive the Holy Spirit in the same magnificent and amazing way that the Jews did in Acts chapter 2. That's a pretty powerful thing. Now, I would imagine that uh, there's probably a few different kinds of people in the room here today. And you're probably wondering, what does this mean for us? And I think there's really two takeaways. And you're supposed to have three when you preach a sermon, but I'm going to give you two. Two takeaways this morning. One, it means that Christians should never look down on a person from any race or ethnic group and say they are unfit to hear the gospel from me. Or they are too unclean for me to go into their house and share the gospel. Or they are not worth evangelizing. Or they have too many offensive habits or bad things. or they're, they're just too broken for me to go spend time with them. That shouldn't happen anymore. God says, we're, we're, we're done with that. And you're like, well, okay, that, that makes sense. But here's the second one. I think this is the powerful one. We should be full of hope and expectancy that the kind of amazing thing that we see happen in Acts chapter 10, that God can do the same thing through us and in us today. That God can go before us and prepare a way that we otherwise would never have thought possible. And we just don't think that it should, or I guess it could happen, but instead, we should be going with the hope and expectancy, like absolutely God can do that. Absolutely, God can work in amazing waves. Absolutely, that God can open the doors that we never would have thought could be opened before. That friend at school that you have, students, who seems the furthest possible away from ever placing their faith in Jesus, God can absolutely open a door to a conversation with that person. That person at work who, who maybe treats everybody else terribly, that person, God can open a door for that and it's not that God can't, could, that we should be hopeful and expectant and praying each day that God open that door today. God says there's nobody out of reach from the gospel anymore. As we'll look ahead in Acts chapter 13 and on, the gospel goes to the nations. We're sitting here today as a result of that. The ends of the earth are still happening today, that we are called to be missionaries, called to go forth and make disciples and tell of the things that we have seen and heard in the same way that Peter does with this group of Gentiles in a Roman centurion's house. So what is our response? You say, yeah, that sounds great. We should be full of hope and expectancy, and we should, we should approach each day knowing that God can do amazing things. Well, I would venture to say there's probably a, a couple different kinds of people sitting in the room today. Maybe, like I said earlier, you're here because somebody brought you here, and you don't believe in Jesus, and you're like, I don't know about this scripture thing. I don't know if the story of what you're telling me is true. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. My challenge would be today for you is to take one step closer to faith, 
Because what we see in the text today is a firsthand account of Peter who says, hey, I saw this myself. I saw the things that Jesus did. I saw what took place. I'm a witness to it, and I saw amazing things happen in him and through us. And I'm here today in chapter 10 telling you about it. We saw the good news shared, that God loves you so incredibly much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you because he wants a relationship with you. He wants to remove the brokenness and sin from your life and to make you into a, make a right relationship with God happen again. So I don't know where you are, but I want to challenge you. Don't leave here today without taking one step further. Talk to somebody. Read it for yourself. If you don't have a Bible, there's free Bibles in the back, and I would love for you to read this yourself and see what exactly we're talking about because this is incredible truth that this, we, it can't be ignored. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus this morning, but you're struggling. Maybe you have doubts or confusion like Peter did. Maybe relationships are, are, are a hard thing right now. Maybe marriage is tough. Maybe work is tough. Maybe you just don't understand what God is doing. I would challenge you to go deeper. Don't leave here today and saying, well, it's just another day where I'm struggling. My challenge would be to talk to somebody. Let somebody in. Be prayerful. Be, be challenged to say, you know what, I'm not meant to do this alone. Let somebody come alongside you and encourage you in the truth, knowing that God loves you so incredibly much that he does not ask you to carry the stress and the anxiety and the burdens that you're currently carrying this morning. He hasn't asked you to carry that. In fact, we see over and over and over again in Scripture that he's asked you to give that to him. Don't let it stay. Don't keep that weight on your shoulders, but instead, take the step today of, all right, what am I going to do to grow closer to God this morning? So maybe you're a follower of Jesus, and you're eager to be bold with your faith. That's awesome. My challenge to you then is this. What are you going to do with that? What is the step that you can take today to point somebody to Jesus? Who can you encourage today? Who can you come alongside with and walk that journey with? Who is that person that God keeps putting in your life saying, maybe I should have a conversation with that person. Maybe I should share my faith with that person. Maybe I invite them somewhere to something and begin that relationship to point that person to Jesus. What are the excuses that you're making to keep you from doing that? How are you using the gifts that God has given you to further his kingdom, to be obedient to the call that he has in your life so you can point others to Jesus? Do something today with your faith. Be active with your faith. Don't read scripture and walk away and say, hey, I'm, that's great, I'm done. But be active with your faith. And so this morning, we get to do something incredible. We get to celebrate being active with your faith. We get to celebrate the fact that baptism is the natural reaction to to believing and confessing our faith in Christ. And so we're going to look back at the scripture at what happened. It picks up in Acts chapter 10, verse 47. Then Peter responded after speaking and seeing the Holy Spirit come down on these believers. He says, can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized? Who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. And so that's what we're doing this morning. 
We're celebrating baptism. We're being obedient to the call to our lives. And we get to celebrate that this morning with Izzah. Let's turn it over to them.